Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Gavin. I serve here. Yes, thank you. I serve here on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha, and it is my joy to get to continue our series through the book of Acts tonight. And we've been calling this The Way Forward. And the question we've been asking every week is what caused the gospel to go from being among a small group of Jesus followers in rural Galilee to become a global movement? And along with that, the question that we've been asking is this, what does the book of Acts teach us is the way forward for the church today. So before we dive into the message tonight, I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. I graduated from UVA in 2020 with a degree in chemical engineering. Yeah, that was a mistake. That's okay. Um, Before coming to UVA, I was raised in Erie, Pennsylvania, And growing up, I had a bit of an obscure favorite childhood movie. Anyone else have like a weird childhood movie? I don't know. That's just me. Um, My favorite childhood movie, and just bear with me in this, was the Curious George movie from 2006. I, there we go. I, I totally did not expect that reaction. I've told many people in my life about this movie, and no one has ever reacted like that. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you why this is my favorite movie. Looking back, I'm sure the movie itself was probably absolutely terrible. But, but the soundtrack, the soundtrack is so good. How many of you can appreciate a good movie soundtrack? The soundtrack was done by Jack Johnson. It is beautiful. It is just peaceful music. And, you know, 16 years later, it still ends up on my top songs playlist every year on Spotify. If you haven't listened to it, it's seriously that good, you guys. I thought to myself the other day as I was listening to one of the songs. It's called Talk of the Town, if you care. Um, And I thought to myself, what if I learned how to play this song on the guitar? This song that is so nostalgic for me, it takes me right back to my childhood. What if I learned how to play it? For reference, I have like little to no musical ability. I took a year of guitar lessons from a piano teacher, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) And so this song is way above my skill level. And so very quickly I realized I would have to practice. I'd have to play songs I didn't want to play that were way easier. And that, that dream died very quickly, as you might imagine. See, I saw how much time and energy and practice that it would take to be able to accomplish this goal, and I said, it's just totally not worth it. I wanted the life of a musician where I could play the songs that I wanted to play when I wanted to play them without the lifestyle of regular practice and honing in the skills, and I just decided it totally wasn't worth it. But let me tell you about a time where I was coming to a similar crossroads where I had to decide if the sacrifice I was about to make was worth it. See, it was about a year and a half ago that my lovely fiance, Kristen, and I started dating. I think we have a picture. Yes, there we go. We're, we're totally adorable. Um, 
we met our first year in Chi Alpha. We were in the same bro sys core group. Um, and then we got really close after going on a spring break mission trip together and then started dating as interns with Chi Alpha last year. And let me tell you that when we started dating, it required a lot of sacrifice. We had to set apart a whole night out of our week to have a regular date night in the midst of a really busy schedule. We had to take time to intentionally invest in our relationship and share about the things that we were dealing with. We had to change how we spent our money. There were sacrifices that we had to make, but Kristen is 100% worth it. And getting to marry Kristen... Getting to marry Kristen has made every sacrifice that we've made along the way totally worth it. So, have you ever found yourself in a position where you're asking the question, is this worth it? Maybe you're like looking over the wall, kind of peering over, checking out a new skill or a new hobby to take on and asking the question of, would this totally be worth it? Maybe you're one of those crazy people that likes running and you thought, like, maybe I'll run a marathon. You don't just wake up one day and run a marathon. It requires a regular lifestyle of practice and uh, maintaining a certain diet. We, we get the idea that in order to accomplish any goal, it's going to take sacrifice. And so whatever your goal is, you, you, it requires necessary sacrifices. And so tonight, our passage in many ways is going to do a similar thing. It's going to show us that in order to live a life of following Jesus, it's going to take sacrifice. In order to fully submit to Jesus as our Lord, it will require submitting our lifestyle choices to him. And frankly, we know that this is not always easy to do, right? As much as we say that we want to follow Jesus and have that vibrant devotional life, the 2 a.m. cookout run always happens, and the next morning it gets really hard to wake up on time, and you hit that snooze button too many times, and suddenly you're late for class and you're off running to the next thing. Or as much as we say that we want to take a Sabbath, suddenly we're still overscheduled and really, really busy, and it becomes nearly impossible to slow down and just rest and be with God. A life of following Jesus means submitting our lifestyle choices to him because he is worth it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. What we're going to do is we're going to look at two stories that Luke put side by side to beautifully contrast one another. The first is going to show us what this looks like lived out well, and the second will show us some ways that make it somewhat challenging. So while you're turning there, allow me to set the scene. We are in the third missionary journey of Paul, and he has been going all across Asia Minor, and he has finally settled down in Ephesus, which is this big city that is the epicenter of a lot of worship for the Greek and Roman gods. And he stays there for a little over two years, and things go really, really well. Paul has this thriving ministry where it says that all the Jews and Greeks in the entire province of Asia hear the word of the Lord. Things are going well. Paul is in the height of his thriving ministry where we pick up our reading. So, verse 11, Acts chapter 19, is where we're going to start. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Let's pause really quick, because this is pretty incredible. 
Paul worked as a tent maker, if you didn't know. And so in the heat of the day, these handkerchiefs would be tied around his head to keep the sweat from dripping onto him. And the aprons, as you might imagine, would be tied around his waist and would get pretty dirty and nasty. And so you could imagine that these sweat rags and dirt-covered aprons were being taken to the sick, to the demon-possessed, and they were being set free and healed because evidently they, covered, they carried with them the healing power of the Spirit. It's so wild, like Luke himself doesn't even try to hide it. He says that these are extraordinary miracles, which is like Bible talk for saying this is, isn't normal even for the apostles. Like this is crazy. A serious move of the Spirit's power is going on in Ephesus. It, it reminded me as I was reading this that of the story in the Gospels where the woman who has the issue of blood reaches out in faith and just touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she finds healing. What Luke is showing us is that truly the healing power of Jesus is at work in Ephesus. And so let's see how people perceived what was going on. So picking up in verse 13, it says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And we say, what in the world? This is one of those passages where you just have to pause and be like, did I really just read that correctly? Did that really just happen? Because it's straight up bizarre. First, we see the power of the Holy Spirit moving through Paul in such a powerful way. And then we see these sons of a Jewish priest take the name of Jesus like an unfamiliar weapon in the wrong hands, and it just totally blows up in their face. And these, these men, these sons of the Jewish priests, are happy to just escape, only lost their clothes and not their lives. And really, we're just left asking, what are people going to do to respond to this? How are people going to respond to seeing seven sons of a Jewish chief priest get mauled by a demon-possessed man? What is going to happen next? Picking up in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the total value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So as a result of these seven dudes getting totally beat up, it says that the name of the Lord Jesus is held in high honor. And really, this isn't just talk. It's not all talk. These people came and they confessed publicly what they had been doing, and they burned their scrolls. Why? Why would holding the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor cause these people to do what they had just done? Much like a marathon runner who cuts out a steady diet of junk food, these sorcerers looked at their lifestyle and saw that a lifestyle of sorcery was totally incompatible 
with a life of following Jesus. And so they threw it in the fire. At its simplest, they saw the incompatibility, and with their eyes fixed on Jesus, their hearts filled with the fear of the Lord, and their convictions set on holding the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor, they burned their scrolls, they confessed their sins, and quite literally burned the bridge of ever going to the, back to the life that they once lived. This is what's at the heart of our passage tonight, a deep conviction that living a life for Jesus means crafting a lifestyle that is congruent with that desire. This is what we see in Ephesus. These people who once had been living lives dedicated to sorcery now live their lives dedicated to Jesus, and they surrender everything to him. They submit everything in their lifestyle to him. And really, what's at the heart of this is what it's, it goes back to verse 8, which we didn't read, but it says that Paul spent his time in his ministry arguing persuasively about the kingdom. And the message of the kingdom of God at its simplest is simply that Jesus is king and everything in our lives needs to be submitted under his rule and reign. In more theological terms, we call this lordship. It's the idea that Jesus is Lord, and by acknowledging him as Lord and not just Savior, he has first right of refusal of what stays and what goes in our lifestyle. One scholar put it this way, we have a quote, Unless Jesus is Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. To truly live under the Lordship of Jesus means submitting to his Lordship in every area of our lives. This is exactly what happens in Ephesus. They hold the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor and they lay everything down. They submit everything to the lordship of Jesus and the outworking of this conviction is the burning of their scrolls. It doesn't matter how much this costs them and it costs them. These people saw the surpassing worth of Jesus and they laid everything down to follow him. I mean, seriously, think about this. These sorcerers gave up everything. They gave up their careers. They came publicly and confessed what they had done in private. And it cost them financially. 50,000 drachmas was not chump change, y'all. They sacrificed so much. And I think we can, we can sit here and think that they knew that the Lord would provide. And I think they got there eventually, don't get me wrong, but really, I think what's at the heart of it is that they saw that Jesus was Lord and nothing else mattered in comparison. They laid everything down, throwing it in the fire and said, no turning back. So my question for you tonight is what is holding you back from following Jesus? For some of you, you hear this and something immediately comes to mind. Maybe it's an unconfessed sin that that you haven't told anybody about and it's just eating you alive on the inside. Maybe it's a, a fake ID that nobody else really knows that you have and tonight the Lord is calling you to cut it up. Maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is, my goal really is not to cast judgment or to call you out for whatever sin you might be holding on to. My, my hope is to open you up to a time to ask the Spirit what He wants you to lay down tonight. My hope is that in this time you would be open to what the Lord is wanting to speak to you. And so truly, I, I, I want us to pause in this moment 
and truly ask the Lord what he's asking you to lay down tonight. We're going to have a time to respond and to lay things down together, but, but truly, what is the Lord calling you to, to lay down tonight? See, the life of a Christian is a life called to living an incompatible life. A life that, that radically burns scrolls and cuts up fake IDs and limits smartphone usage and controls themselves on social media. It, it's a people who willingly lay down these things, saying that I care more about the well-being of my soul than any supposed freedoms that I might be able to hold on to. It's a lifestyle of submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And so what is holding you back from following Jesus and will you lay it down to follow him? Will you lay it down in submission to his lordship? So we've seen this picture of what it looks like lived out well. And it's all predicated on these people holding the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor. And so you might be wondering what happens when we put the wrong thing in that place of high honor? What happens when people hold something else more tightly than they hold the lordship of Jesus? And so thankfully, Luke answers that question for us with the next story in our passage tonight. And it will answer some questions of what makes it difficult for them and also what makes it difficult for us. And so picking up in verse 23, says, About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So this is where we're going to stop our reading. So as a total opposite response of the sorcerers who lay everything down is the silversmiths who hold everything back. And it kind of makes sense. You look at Demetrius and he's a smart guy and he does the math. He says, okay, if more people are following Jesus, that means less people are worshiping Artemis and that means less money coming in for silver shrines. It's pretty basic math. Right off the bat, he sees the inherent incompatibility of his lifestyle of building these shrines and a life of following Jesus. And so there's this inherent conflict that exists. And so he wants to just start this riot. And so he appeals to the people around him using three different appeals. And they talk to us about three areas that the gospel is going to cost us something as well. And so... Uh, we're going to dive into those. We're going to spend our, the most of the time talking about the first one. And so the second two will go much faster. So first, he appeals to their personal identity. He talks to them about their prestige as craftsmen. He says that the fame or the, our trade would lose its good name. To be clear, there's nothing inherently wrong with being a silversmith or any other type of craftsman. But it's how he uses his craft 
for idol worship that is at odds with Jesus. You know, Demetrius could have just as easily gone to these other craftsmen and said, you know what, guys? Okay, silver shrines are not in with these Christians. They're a bit of an untapped market. We haven't really broken in yet, but you know, you know what would work with them? I got an idea. Silver cross necklaces. <laughs> I bet we could sell a bunch of silver cross necklaces and really get in with these Christians. But no, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, what he does is he takes the gospel, the message of the kingdom, as a affront to their personal identity. He says that they're going to lose their prestige as craftsmen. And so in the same way, there's nothing inherently wrong with being an accountant or an engineer or a nurse or really any profession could be used for the glory of God. But the question is, will you lay it down in submission to his lordship? Because, you know, the reality is, you guys with a UVA degree, you can go out and get some pretty prestigious jobs. You, you guys are set up well. But the question is, will you use your career, will you use the things that the Lord has placed in your life to build his kingdom? Will you use them for his glory in submission to his lordship? I have a friend that is just a beautiful example of this. He and I graduated at the same time, and as long as I've known this guy, he has just loved the ocean. He's loved marine biology. He has like taken deeply the call to steward the environment. And he moved all the way out to California because he got this great job doing something that just goes way over my head, and I don't totally understand what it is. But every time that he and I talk, without fail, the thing that he talks to me about the most is not his job or the promotions he's getting, and I know he's getting them, but he talks to me about his church. He talks to me about the ministry that he has the opportunity to serve with. He talks to me about the disciple-making opportunities that he's come across. Why? Because he has submitted his career to the Lord. He's laid everything at the feet of Jesus because Jesus is worthy. And so for him, it's not about building a name for himself, but it's about making the name of Jesus great. So the first thing that Demetrius pulls on is their personal identity, and the second thing is their cultural identity. See, the Temple of Artemis was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the thing that connected them to their identity as Ephesians the most. It was a center for trade. A lot of money came into Ephesus because of the temple. And so Demetrius, he has this targeted strategy to go after the thing that connects them to their cultural identity the most. And so the crowd is getting on board. They're getting riled up. And the commotion really starts to grow. But I want you guys to think for a moment about our cultural identity as UVA students. When I think about the mentality and the culture of UVA, multiple things come to mind, but most prevalently is the idea, the philosophy of work hard, play hard. If you, if you bind yourself to this mentality, if you get entrenched in the cultural waters that we swim in, it's going to be really, really hard to follow Jesus sometimes. It's at odds with the, cult, with the mindset of following Jesus, with the message of the kingdom. Because when you're entrenched in this work hard, play hard mentality, you're always going, going, going. It's hurried living. It's never stopping to rest in Jesus. It makes Sabbath keeping really, really difficult. It makes having a consistent and vibrant devotional life really, really difficult because you're playing hard. It doesn't have to be partying. 
It could be, you know, just staying out to the hub and playing games till 2 a.m., but the next morning it's going to be really hard to get up and have that time with the Lord, right? Like, that makes sense to us, and really this is not the only place where UVA culture conflicts with the kingdom, but I think it's a pretty prevalent and evident one. The reality is that when we submit ourselves under Jesus' lordship, we come into conflict with the culture. So have you laid down your cultural identity in submission to Jesus' lordship? The third piece that, and, and final piece that Demetrius pulls on is their religious identity. He, he calls out that the name of the goddess Artemis would be discredited. And so he is obvious to us that you cannot both worship Artemis and declare that Jesus is Lord. Those two are mutually exclusive statements. Demetrius pulls on the religious identity of the crowd just to get people riled up, and it works. The crowd breaks out into an uproar, and later on in that passage, it says that they went on shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours straight. These people went off. So Paul, Paul's, what Paul's doing in Ephesus is not just going to offend their craft, it's going to offend their culture, and it's going to offend their goddess. A few weeks ago, Kelly came and shared with us about people um, that she is serving. And for them and for people all across the world, laying down a competing religious identity is a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. And for some of us in the room, that might be where you're at, but I know that's not where most of us are at. What's really at the heart of this is not about a competing religious identity, but about the idea of what are you worshiping? What, what are you placing your hope in? What are you placing your trust in? Maybe you're placing your trust in your academics. Maybe you're so focused on getting a certain grade or a certain GPA that it just becomes the dominant thing in your mind. And please, please don't mishear me. I know that we are all called here to be students, and I want us to steward that. But if your academics become the ultimate thing, it will define you and you will become a slave to it. Because whatever holds that position of high honor in your life, you are submitting to. And so if that becomes academics, then you are placing your hope and your trust and your identity and your academics. If that becomes your athletics, I can't hold that weight either. If it becomes your social status, whatever you are placing your trust in, whatever you're placing your hope in, will you lay it down in submission to Jesus' lordship? So the riot eventually calms down. But what you can see is the response in Ephesus has clearly shifted. Where the name of the Lord Jesus was once being held in high honor, now the crowd is shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Demetrius has swayed the crowd, planting in their minds the idea that, cost, that following Jesus would just cost them too much. And to truly follow Jesus, they would be missing out on too much. And so, we see that these former sorcerers, they lay everything down, but these silversmiths hold everything back. These sorcerers, they threw their scrolls right in the fire, watching it burn and never looking back, but these silversmiths say that Jesus can't touch my prophets, or my prestige, or my culture, or my religion. It's all off limits. They can't, he can't touch it. 
And so the sorcerers, they got to witness extraordinary miracles. They got to see people healed. They got to see people set free from demons. And the silversmiths just didn't, right? Because what they were so focused on was what they would be missing out on. They were so focused on the cost that they missed out on the fact that a powerful move of the Spirit of God was going down in Ephesus. They had bought so far into the lie that following Jesus would cost them too much that they were blinded to the cost of not submitting. They were so caught up in not giving up their identities that they missed the fact that they're giving up on a relationship with Jesus and all of the joys that come with that. Truly, the cost of holding things back is so much greater than the cost of surrender. So the question I have for you tonight is ultimately, will you be a sorcerer or a silversmith? Will you submit under the lordship of Jesus or will you surrender everything to him? Or will you hold it back? For some of you here tonight, this is nothing new and I know this. But it's something that we need to be reminded of often because it's one that's easier heard than truly lived out. Because a life submitted to the lordship of Jesus is a life that is hard to live. But truly, if we get this right, this is the fundamental conviction for the way forward. This is what will set us up. If we get this right, not even hostile, riotous uprisings can stop the gospel from going forward. See, the kingdom of God comes into play and it's at odds with the kingdom of the world around it. And the kingdom of God just says, lay everything down. Jesus is worth it. Lay it down. Throw it in the fire and never look back. But the kingdom of the world says, look at how much it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your reputation. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you your job. So not worth it. These two things are at odds with one another. And as people who are trying to follow Jesus, we stand in this awkward position where we live by the values of the kingdom of God and we live in the midst of the kingdom of the world. And naturally, these two things are at odds with one another. And yet, this is the power of the church. Because we get to live as a community that is alternative to the world around us, a community that runs counter to the way that the, things, the, way the world works, and we can support one another and encourage one another and be this alternative that is a source of life in the midst of the challenges around us. So many times when I hear stories of people surrendering more to Jesus and finding victory in this area of lordship, it's because of the community and the support of the people around them. Because they found accountability and support for the things that they were laying down, people who would hold them back when they try to reach into the fire and pull those things out. This is why we need each other, because a life submitted to the lordship of Jesus is way easier when you have people supporting you. And so, as we begin to close, I want you to picture yourself in our story tonight. I want you to picture yourself standing in the center of Ephesus, in the town square where the scroll burning just happened, the same town square where the riot just broke out, 
And I want you to picture yourself standing there holding out before the Lord the thing that he's placed on your mind that you need to lay down tonight. On your one side, you can see that where the fire once was now is just a pile of of hot embers. But if you reach out and you lay it down before the Lord, you can reignite that fire. Yet on the other side, you hear in the distance the riot growing louder and louder. And not only is it the voice declaring, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, but underneath that, underneath that is a message that you need to hold back, that you need to hold on to your personal identity, that you need to hold on to your UVA cultural identity, that you need to hold on to the things that you're placing your hope and your trust in. This truly is the choice that we're all faced with. On the one hand, you may have the Lord calling you to lay down your career, your degree, throw it in the fire. Maybe for some of you, you, I hear story after story of people in this room who have sensed the Lord calling them to the nations and to give up a, a degree, to go to bring the gospel to the unreached. People are going to think you're crazy. How could you give up so much to follow Jesus? For others of you, you're not necessarily called to throw your degree in the fire per se, but you're called to lay down your career in submission to Jesus' lordship, to use however he's positioned you uniquely to grow his kingdom. For others, this is all about laying down your freedoms. Because, you know, if you you want to just go along with the cultural trends at UVA, you can live whatever kind of life you're going to live and people aren't going to push back on you. But the second that you start living according to the values of the kingdom, people are going to take notice and there's going to be a little bit of pushback. What do you mean you don't drink? What do you mean you don't smoke? What do you mean you don't hook up on the weekends? There's going to be pushback because when we live according to the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of the world, there's going to be some conflict. And so I'm not trying to pretend like I know what the Lord is calling you to lay down tonight. But I believe that the Spirit has the power to work in your life and to reveal the things that he wants you to lay down. Truly, tonight, I believe that the Lord is calling us each to take a step of faith and declare personally that Jesus is Lord, submitting ourselves under his lordship, and to burn our scrolls even in the midst of people rioting all around us. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. See, Kafa, my hope is this, my prayer is this, that, that we would be a bunch of scroll burners. That we'd be people who burn so hot for Jesus that everything in our lifestyle that doesn't belong there, that isn't in line with the life that he's calling us to live, that it would just get totally consumed. If we live like this, we'll be an alternative community to the world around us, bound by our conviction that Jesus is Lord and not even the hostile, riotous uprisings breaking out around us would stop the gospel from going forward. But this takes sacrifice. It's not easy. It it takes a willingness to relinquish control in order to hold the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor. And so I want us to go back to the question where it all started tonight. What is holding you back from following Jesus? And will you lay it down to follow him? I know for each of us here, when we stand at this crossroad of asking 
of whether Jesus is worth it, it is easy to feel overwhelmed by the things that we're called to give up. It's easy to fix our eyes on the cost of following Jesus and forget about all that he has done for us and, for, and lose sight of all that he's offering us in return. But most importantly of all, I want us to remember who Jesus is. So if we fix our eyes on our Savior, he has proven himself to be trustworthy. He proved his love for us on the cross. And really, Jesus is not this distant, far-off king demanding blind loyalty from his subjects. But he is the incarnate king who was crucified in our place, coronated on that cross, and resurrected and exalted into glory, forever changing redemptive history. He is trustworthy. He is worthy of our full surrender. So what we're going to do is we're going to close in a song of worship. Then we're going to have a time to respond corporately to what the Lord has done tonight. But as we sing this song, I want you to just pause in the Lord's presence. For some of you, I know it is just so clear what the Lord is calling you to lay down. But for others of you, you may need to take this time to just pray and ask the Lord yet again what it is he's wanting to bring to your mind. And so if you need that time to to pause in God's presence and ask him what he's asking you to lay down, take this moment. Pause in his presence and lay it down at his feet. So we're going to worship and then we'll respond together. So will you lead us, worship team? So before we finish this song and worship, I want us to take this time to respond together. Picture yourself in the story. Picture yourself standing at that crossroads where the thing that the Lord has called you to lay down tonight, whether it's a sin issue or anything else that needs to be surrendered, You just hold it out in your hands before the Lord. I want you to physically extend your hands, holding that out before the Lord. And I want you trusting in God with your eyes fixed on your Savior, your heart filled with the fear of the Lord and the conviction to hold the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor to release it before him. Open your palms with your hands to the ground and release it to him. Picture it falling into the fire and being totally consumed in God's presence. Now I want you to turn your palms face up in a posture of receptivity. And having laid it all down before the Lord, receive from him what you need to receive tonight. Receive from him the joy of your salvation. Receive from him the peace that passes all understanding. Receive from him the understanding that he is worthy. He is our blessed Savior and he is worthy of our full surrender. I truly believe that the Lord is doing something powerful in this room. And so as we continue in worship, I want you to worship from that place of freedom. 
that place of being freed up from the things that you were holding back, that place of release. And so worship and freedom, having laid it all down and surrendered to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for what you have done here tonight. Lord, we are grateful to be in this community where we can stand together and live out this conviction that you are our Lord together. Lord, I pray that we would live this out. God, give us the strength to do it. Father, I pray that as Chi Alpha, we would be a bunch of scroll burners, that we would be people who wholly submit under your Lordship. And that in doing so, we would receive back from you the joy of our salvation and a peace that passes all understanding in far greater measure that it would just blow everything else out of the water. That everything that we have laid down here tonight would just pale in comparison to all that we are receiving from you, Jesus. So for the benediction, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace as you surrender to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.